Good morning, Grace Church. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Question to start things off today. What in the world does listening to me preach a sermon about a sermon that Peter preached in response to a healing that God did have anything to do with following Jesus closely on a daily basis? That's the question for today, and what I hope you'll see is the answer is pretty much everything. It has pretty much everything to do with following Jesus on a daily basis. And so let's stand for the Word of God. I'm going to read Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. And God we, has gathered us together today, so we need to trust the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to accomplish something eternally significant in each one of our hearts. Okay, so I'm preaching today on preaching in Solomon's portico. I'm preaching a sermon about a sermon, all right? And we're going to start at verse 11 of Acts chapter 3. Here we go. This is God's word. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Lord God, in the face of such a christ Centered passage of Scripture. We can only be humbled. Lord God, knowing that you preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham and you 
have been preaching the gospel ever since. Lord, let us listen to the prophet Jesus. Let us listen to the gospel. And thank you for blessing us. Those of us who know you, but turning us to wickedness. Lord God, I pray now as we as we think and, and pray and as we hear your word, I pray, Lord, that you would change us however you desire. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, be seated, please. Or stay standing if you'd like, whatever you want to do. Okay, so in, in AD 30, in Jerusalem, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day, and then he ascended to heaven. Now, before his ascension, Jesus met with his disciples, whom he would leave on earth, and he is instructing them, he is preparing them to receive power from God. And 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit came upon the, the disciples, the apostles, and the church was born. And they joyfully served God's purposes. The outflow of that is amazing. And what we see in the book of Acts, and we're now, we're now into, you know, halfway into chapter 3, what we see is all of this is, is foundational. All of this is transitional, and it is very powerful. Now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And people heard the gospel message. They uh, received the word of God. They repented of their sins. And believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. I hope you've done that. That's what happened. And, and we have the same Holy Spirit and the same power today. Christ's work continues through his witnesses for his eternal purposes. Acts is about the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem out to the ends of the earth. And we are living proof that the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth because we are here and the gospel came to us, so I guess you could say it worked. I remember the first time I shared the gospel with someone and they responded and came to faith in Christ. I remember thinking to myself, it worked. It works. It, it, it worked on me, but it works on other people too. This is awesome. Rest of my life, really, then I'm saying I'm dedicating that to telling people about Jesus. So the gospel has made its way to us and beyond. Right, we're sending people out, and it's, the gospel is still going around the globe, and now it's just crisscrossing the globe again and again and again, and the gospel is on the loose. Now you zero in on this first church. There are some things we see about the church in Jerusalem, the first church, that are true about Christ's church in every time and place, all the time, always true about Christ's church. That first church was devoted to the word of God, the apostles' teaching, before the New Testament was written. Now we have the written word of God. You've either got it in your hands, in leather and paper form, or electronically. Or maybe you've memorized the whole thing. I don't know. I've heard of people who have done that. It is possible. That's not a bad life goal. Anyway, they were devoted to fellowship, not just hanging out with each other, but helping each other in caring community. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. 
literally remembering Jesus' death on the cross uh, in, in, in celebrating the Lord's table. And they were devoted to the prayers, plural, the prayers. They dependently trusted God to do what only he can do. And they prayed together often. Believers prayed together often. That's what we should do. And we see that they did all of this with glad and generous hearts. And their joy overflowed, and they had all things in common. They shared what God had blessed them with. We see at the beginning of chapter 3, a lame beggar asked Peter and John for money. We, see this last, we saw this last week. Now, what I want to say is that as, as we go into the sermon that Peter preaches, really his second sermon now, we have to firmly stay in the context of this healing. We've got to keep it in mind. We can't lose that. That's the immediate context. And everything from that healing until the end of chapter 4 flows from the healing. Basically, everything you're going to hear from here till the end of Acts chapter 4 was instigated by the healing at the beautiful gate. You got to keep that really clear in your mind. Let's think about the healing. So there's this lame beggar, and he's been, been this way since he was born, and he was put every day at this beautiful gate that was 80-some feet high, bigger than all the other gates going into the temple, and it was overlaid with silver and gold and Corinthian brass. And he's begging every day, and he's expecting something. When he, when he talks to Peter and John, what he's expecting is financial help coming his way. He was not expecting physical healing. And boy, was he in for a surprise. God was going to knock his socks off if he was wearing them. I'm thinking he's getting a new pair of sandals out of this one. Okay, Peter told the man to do something that would seem cruel if you didn't know the story. He exhorts him to do what he could not do. How do you like to be asked to do what you cannot do? Hey, you should go and run a marathon right this minute and win the world and get, beat the world's record. Go. So, he exhorts him to do the impossible, and it's the most loving thing imaginable because as we know from Matthew 19, 26, with, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. At the beautiful gate, and we encounter a beautiful truth that Jesus beautifully restores what sin makes ugly and destroys. That's what we see. And the result, praise to God, exaltation, is this opportunity for evangelism and, and it authenticated the gospel message in a time before the New Testament was written. And it shows us God does as he pleases. Almighty God, our sovereign almighty God does as he pleases when he pleases. And it reminds us that the purpose of healing is the glory of God. The purpose of healing is the glory of God. This healing that we saw last week led us to five observations, five exclamatory observations. First, that they were really, really fixated on Jesus. They were just so fixated on Jesus. He was number one. And we, we learned that grace is so 
generous, so generous. It, it, it frees us to give freely, that we get to share the endless riches of Christ with needy beggars, such as ourselves. And God is so powerful, displaying resurrection power. And, and we are so dependent. We can't do anything apart from Jesus. And then we see that the healing at the beautiful gate is a great picture of the gospel and how God saves. Because the healing came to one who wasn't looking for it. Who wasn't asking for it. Think about the gospel. The gospel calls on us to repent and believe. Now that is a command that we cannot do. Our hardened hearts are dead in sins, unable to respond, unless and until God does a secret work of making the dead alive. The Bible word is regeneration. It's a great word. God opens spiritually blind eyes to the gospel truth, and he's still doing it today. He's doing it right now. So we look at Acts 3, 11 through 26. This is the focus for us today. And you've got the healing at the beautiful gate that is the lead-in to Peter's second sermon. Peter preaches in response to the healing. So once again, just like in Acts chapter 2, a God-ordained event leads to a God-inspired explanation. On the day of Pentecost, there's these these tongues as a fire resting upon God's church and they are able to speak languages they've never learned and people in their own language are hearing the mighty deeds of God and now people are misunderstanding that and so Peter gets up and preaches. In this situation, they see a guy who they knew who he was and he had never been able to walk and now instantly he's walking and leaping and praising God and so in wonder and amazement the crowds run to Peter and John and the rest of the church and they think they think wow these guys are powerful these guys are strong now the crowds run to them in the portico of Solomon. That's where the church met. And Peter, Peter humbly sets the record straight. Can you imagine if something amazing happens and, and someone comes up to you and says, thank you, you're awesome, you're great, you're strong, you're powerful. We would be so tempted to take the credit. Even a smidgen of it, we would be tempted a little sliver of credit. Just, you know, God, God did it, but, you know, he chose me as his instrument in that one. Don't, don't thank me. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> you know, wow. So Peter sets the record straight, and he doesn't do it with just a little explanation of, oh, you know, this, this was God, not me. He gives a strong exhortation regarding repentance and faith in Christ because, remember, it wasn't about the healing it was about the gospel message being authenticated in a time when the Bible wasn't yet complete. Now, you look at the sermon and you think, wow, this is a lot like the first one. Should we just skip over it? No, we're going through every word in the book of Acts. But Peter, in his first sermon, dealt with exalting Christ and exposing sin and 
explaining the, the word and exhorting repentance. And the second sermon, basically the same themes, just organized differently. Okay, so, so it's, just, it's just the same themes. And I'm really glad about it. And I'm glad we can go through it again. I am comforted by the fact that it's not a totally new message that now we've got to memorize a new thing. All right, we need repetition of the gospel message. The gospel doesn't change, and we need to hear it over and over and over again and let it wash over our souls and let, us, let it flavor our souls and let, it, let, let us marinate in it so that we would be, be changed by it. The gospel doesn't change. Now, you know, people don't really change that much either. I mean, through the centuries, if, if you think about it, we're not that much different than the first church. Of course, we got different food, right? And, and clothes and homes and modes of transportation and things like that, but the same putrid sin that separates us from God. And, and we're still loving sandals, right? Who's wearing sandals today? Who's wearing sandals? Just give me your hand. We're still loving sandals. See, I'm telling you, things don't change. The colors change, right? So what do we need from this sermon? The sermon from Peter. Here's what we need, every word. And we need every word of it. Uh, they needed it, we need it. Many of them weren't believers. Uh, here's what I want you to know. If you're an unbeliever, you need to believe this message that you're gonna hear. If you're a believer, you need to keep on believing the message you're going to hear. Because it applies to you as well. You're not exempt simply because you've you know, already believed, already did that kind of a American Christianity way of thinking. Uh, and I hope you see what I'm saying here. This is not about, you know, hey, I've got fire insurance, and now I'd like to enhance my policy with a few extras, a little, some add-ons, as I enjoy the company of the flock until Jesus returns. Reality is, we are all, you are, you are prone to wander away from God at a moment's notice. A moment's notice. So we need to put our trust in Jesus and keep putting our trust in Jesus. Timeless truth of this passage of Scripture really is um, that you need to trust God's power in Christ and repentantly obey the Word of God. Trust God's power in Christ and repentantly obey the Word of God. Jesus is the perfect servant of God. This is the very Christ-centered message that Peter gives, and he fulfills, Jesus fulfills the promise of God and has the power of God to heal and to forgive and to save. So let's take a look at this preaching in Solomon's portico, but we're not just going to look at it from that frame of reference, but also from preaching at Grace Orange, okay? So preaching in Solomon's portico and preaching at Grace Orange, because this is for us too. This is not just a history lesson, all right? If you think you're here for a history lesson, you're in the wrong classroom, all right? That's down the hall. I don't know. I don't know where that is. Um, Okay, so I'm, I want you to notice some things about this sermon. Really, there's going to be four things. Okay, I, I picked out four things. You could have picked out one. Okay, Jesus, okay? But here's the first thing I want, that we need to notice, uh, that Peter is really very clearly telling them and then telling us, okay? First of all, look to God, not man. Look to God, not man. Don't put your trust in man. Put your trust in God. Look at verse 11. It says that the, the, the formerly lame beggar, we don't even have his name, do we? We don't have his name. He clings to Peter and John. While he clung to Peter and John. You know what that means, that he clung to them? It means he did a, a citizen's arrest on himself. Okay, he, he put the uh, cuffs on himself and said, I'm with you guys now. 
I'm going wherever you go. I, I'm, I'm in your custody now. That's what he did. He, he arrested himself. All right? His heart had been arrested by Jesus, and he arrests himself and says, I'm with you from now on. And all the people are utterly astounded. They're beyond belief. They, they run together to them in the portico called Solomon's. There's this, there's this situation. Big crowd. God's big at driving crowd, uh, drawing crowds. Um, the healing generates praise from the lame beggar. We, and, and, and the people just get all, just get all bent out of shape in the, in the, I don't know, in a great way, I guess. Um, think about chapter 2, verse 47 of Acts. All the believers praise God. Right? But here, one man praises him. One man is praising God. And for the first time in his life, he's healthy. And there are two reactions. One is physical. He's walking, jumping for joy, leaping, and voicing his praise. There's uh, jubilation coming out of his mouth. The other response is spiritual. There is a response of faith. Inner celebration for the miracle God brought about through the, stimulated this outward praise. And basically, God gets the credit. His public testimony, very, very appropriate, right? I didn't see any of you, by the way, walking and leaping and praising God as you came in today. I thought we talked about this last week, all right? What, what is up? You're the early risers. All right, tell the people in second and third hours, walk, leap, and praise God as you come in, all right? And as you go out, you can do this. All right, so here is a man who now can do what he's never been able to do before, but he's always watched other people doing as they pass him by. Walk. Now, he's with Peter and John. He's, he's with the number of, of the church, and verse 12 says, Peter sees it. What did he see? He saw the people probably about to bow down and praise him. <laughs> He knows what's going on. They're, 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 they're thinking the wrong thing, and so he's going to start preaching. He addresses the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? You know when you can just tell the way things are going? Someone's coming at you with anger in their, you know, in their, in their, in their eyes, or someone's coming towards you with a big smile or whatever, or, or a gift you know, behind their back they're about to give you. Well, here Peter's like, whoa, 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 time out. No, no. Don't stare at us as if our own power did this or because we're so religious that somehow God just thought you're the best and I'm going to do this through you. So God had straightened out crooked limbs and now Peter is straightening out crooked thinking. Look to God, not man. Put no confidence in the flesh. We are not wise or good apart from God. We should not be alive. If not for mercy, we are lost. Mankind, by the way, is, is actually very terrible to mankind. We are shouting each other down. We are harassing each other. We are putting each other down. We are lying about each other. We are fighting each other. We are contending. We are competing. We are shoving each other out of the way jockeying for position and at the same time we put our trust in man isn't that just dumb 
We put our faith in man. We have American idols, iconic politicians, fashion designers, and nutritionists that tell us what to wear and what to eat, and rock star pastors. We got it all. And we bow at the altar of current fads and prevailing trends. Do we not? This is us. We worship at our own altar of supposed sovereignty. We love to be right. Some of us think that's our, that's our main goal in life, is to be right. Talk ourselves into thinking we're always right. Pretty wrong. It's arrogance. So we fall for anything, and we ignore immortal, invisible, God-only wise. Peter's saying, put your trust in God, not man. Don't look at us as if we did this. And the next thing you, you got to notice that Peter is saying to them is, Verses 13 to 16, love Jesus. <laughs> you want to put your adoration towards someone? Put it towards Jesus. Verse 13, the God of Abraham. Now he's talking about the covenant-keeping God and how he's worked through the patriarchs and the prophets. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. No misunderstanding here amongst the Jews. He know, they know who he's talking about. The God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. That word servant can also be translated son. Okay? glorified Jesus he takes them to the covenant keeping God and he basically is telling them this is this is the one you should be loving and adoring but the problem is we don't love Jesus the most the human heart doesn't love Jesus the most we read in the Bible that we love because he first loved us but our hearts going after things all the time and it boils down to whether we love Jesus as much as our sin. Man, I'll tell you what, Peter really hits them with their sin. Here's what he says to them. Whom you, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, even when Pilate wanted to let him go. Well, you want to go around blaming Pilate? Blame yourself. Verse, thir- verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one. There's all these awesome names for Jesus here. Holy and righteous one. And you asked for a murderer. Literally to be granted to you. You wanted a favor for this murder. You wanted him legally released so he could be, about the popu- be mixed in with the general population because you like him better than Jesus. Verse 15 says you killed, get this, you killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. Do you see the play on words there? You killed the author of life. And he says, you know what? God raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses to, of this. We, we know it. We saw it. You're guilty. They're not condemning him, by the way. They're just telling the facts. Yeah, Peter could say, just being honest. You know, when you say that, you're like, mm, just being honest. But Peter, just being honest. Luke 23 Verse 25, here, Luke wrote the book of Acts and he wrote this gospel, Luke, and he, he, he says this, he released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder whom they asked for, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Matthew 27, 16 identifies him as a notorious prisoner, Barabbas. You know his name. But how often we choose some imposter over Jesus? How often we choose horrible things over Jesus? I'm gonna see a show of hands. Can we do this? How many of you desire and go after things that don't please God and would ruin you? All of us. I'm raising your hand for you. 
I'm confessing your sins for you, okay? Everyone. And here's what God does. He meets people where they are and always tells them the truth about themselves. Oh, we don't tell the truth about things. We, we talk behind someone's back, then we come up to them and say, oh, how you doing? Love you. I wasn't talking down behind your back, Bob. I wasn't doing it. I love you, man. You see, God tells the truth, and he doesn't tell you, you are so awesomely perfect. Doesn't do it. He doesn't say, you know, you're so good, I want to improve you a little bit. Just take a little off the edges, maybe, and kind of Photoshop some things. Mercifully, he tells us, we are lost and weak and addicted and depressed and selfishly busting up relationships left and right. In rebellion, unable to fix ourselves, and without Christ, unable to do a thing, and we are under the wrath of God. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing we didn't write the Bible because we would have made it all good when it came to us. Good news that we are confronted by our badness. We are confronted by our sin. We've done a lousy job of being God. We've done a lousy job. Everywhere we go, we break things up. We blow everything up. We're atrocious at being sovereign. You're broken. You don't deserve anything good. You and I are defective and defeated and going to hell apart from Christ. So you already know how really bad it is. So imagine if God came up to you and said to you, you're really all right. Wouldn't that be confusing? (laughs) The very thing you know about yourself and someone's telling you, no, 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 don't worry about that. Isn't, aren't you glad that God didn't gloss over this? So he tells us what we already know. We're trying so hard and we're stuck and we can't make ourselves better. And again, no man could have, could have authored the Bible. We would have made ourselves look so much better. So he's pointing his hearers to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Holy and Righteous One, perfect, sinless, worthy, and the author of life that was put to death by his own creatures. And he says in verse 16, his name he says by his name by faith in his name that's how this guy got healed it wasn't us it was jesus that's why he's in perfect health because jesus gave it to him okay let's let's move on peter peter um Peter says that they and and us need to look to God, not man, and put our trust in God and love Jesus the most, but we know we don't because of our sin. And so here's the next movement, really, in this sermon is you gotta learn to live life repentantly. Repentantly, 17 through 21. And and by the way, repentance, in case you got, you know, somehow you missed this, repentance isn't a one-stop cure-all that happens once and never needs to be repeated, Okay? Did you know this? Uh, repentance is the life of a believer, okay? Verse, because we're sinners, and we sin. We need to turn from our sins to Jesus. Verse 17, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. This is what P- Paul will be able to preach later, that I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Didn't let him off the hook, but at least explain things. Verse 18, um, God foretold 
It was announced fully beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets. You should have heard all the prophets screaming at you that the Christ would suffer. And, and that it's, now it's been fulfilled. Blood was spilled for the life of the world. So verse 19, here it is. Here, here's, he's, getting, he's getting there. Now this is what they need to do. Repent therefore. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So they are encouraged, they are exhorted to repent. Change your mind about God and you and return to God. Repent. And, and what we hear, what we see elsewhere in the Bible is God grants repentance. You don't drum it up. Okay? The, the, the amazing thing is Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. I Meaning he, he, he start, takes us from, from start to finish. And it says here that when you repent and turn back to God, your sins are blotted out. You know what that means? It means like, you know, it's all bleached out, gone. It's basically taking it off the page, erasing it fully from the page, full of decrees against us because of our sin. The whole legal record of all of our sins blotted out. Now, many of you can't receive that. You're still dealing as a believer with the weight of your sin because you haven't grasped the weight of God's forgiveness in Christ. All of your sins blotted out. Then you're like, well, why do I need to keep repenting? Because you keep committing new sins. They're not going to keep you out of heaven, but they're going to keep you from fellowship with God and with, with the church. I love verse 20. Who doesn't like to be refreshed? Who doesn't like refreshment? All right? It was so hot yesterday. And I was like, I need some cool, refreshing liquids and frozen treats. Right? I was sharing some frozen treats with some friends yesterday. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of God, not from Peter and John, not from you and me, but from God, and, and he's going to send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus is for you. Verse 21, heaven must receive him, though, until the time for restoring he, uh, all things. This is, this is when he comes back. God has already started the clock on the time of restoration here. Nearer today than when we first believed. But timing is very crucial, very critical here. Times of refreshing, time of restoration. Times of refreshing, forgiveness of sin, joy in Christ, assurance of salvation, time of restoration when Jesus returns. But we got to learn to live repentantly because we don't know when Jesus is returning. We learn obedience through suffering. We, God disciplines us for our own good. And a repenter admits that they're an idolater. They don't keep up appearances. Oh, aren't we? I'm, I'm great at keeping up appearances. I'm sure you are too. I know you are. But God says, you know, you're lost, you're dead, you're lustful, you're wicked, you're a liar, you're, you're a slave to your desires, you're foul-mouthed, you're, you're a fool. And that's an understatement. We know it. That's an understatement. And then he says this. <laughs> Here's your pardon in Christ. I know all this about you, and here's your pardon. Here's your pardon. Your sins paid in full. So the posture of a humbled heart is, man, I, I'm lost without Jesus. I'm, I'm ruined without Jesus. I'm without hope without Jesus. I've made a rotten Savior, and I need the only Savior. I've got a multitude of sins, a million reasons to believe. And my sins have been blotted out. 
You think about it. Think about all the prayer requests. Make all the prayer lists. And you look at all the prayer requests. And you know what we're doing most of the time? We're asking God to alleviate the consequences of sin. Your sins blotted out. Bleached. Erased. Formula 409. They still make that? Yeah? God provided the miracle cure in Christ. His bloodshed for your bloodshed. Your, your murders. Your lying. Your thievery. His bloodshed. And so what does Peter, what does Peter close his sermon with? Okay. He puts it all together. By the way, what he's already preached is earth shattering and what he closes with is even bigger. He says in verses 22 to 26, you listen to the prophet. The Lord Jesus. Moses said, God will raise up for you a prophet like me. You shall listen to him. Verse 23, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That's a, a, a loose quote of Deuteronomy 18, 19 that says, whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Basically, either your sins are on Jesus and therefore blotted out, or you will be blotted out, destroyed from the people. All who reject Christ will be blotted out. And he goes on, verse 24, all the prophets have said the same thing. They've proclaimed these days. You need to hear it. Listen to the prophet. John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you're gonna keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper who will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this is very specific. He's saying, listen to what the prophet has said. This is all about the sufficiency of Scripture. Listen to the prophet and obey it's a very specific gospel message. Obey it. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the witnesses sharing the word. And Peter just drives it home. And he's, this whole sermon is angling towards this. If you're going to look to God, not man, and you're going to love Jesus the most, and you're going to learn to live repentantly, you're going to need to listen to Jesus. Now this is where a lot of Christians get really whacked out. And I want to center you right on what it's talking about. This means you hear and believe and receive and obey the word of God. And it's already been given. The canon is closed. We have it right here before us. Paul said to Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. And, and evil men and imposters are going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in what you've learned and heard and become convinced of. What is he talking about? He's talking about the sacred writings that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Romans says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. You would be equipped for every good work. Peter ends with these words. Verse 25. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made. 
saying to Abraham, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, pointing to Christ. Verse 26, God has raised up his servant. I want you to notice the bookends of this sermon. Verse 13, he's pointing out the God of the covenant, and he's pointing out the servant in verse 13. Now in verse 26, he says, God has raised up his servant, same word for son. He sent him to you to bless you by turning you from your sins. Now I just want to mention as, as, as we close this that wouldn't it be awesome if every time someone heard the gospel message they would just receive it with joy and, and, and praise God. But verse two of chapter four, what we see is some were very annoyed. And they were very annoyed because they were teaching the people about Jesus. But then in verse four of chapter four, many believed. In fact, it bumped the numbers up to 5,000 men. So you go from 3,120 to 5,000 men. You count in the women and children, you're talking upwards to 10 to 12,000 people in Solomon's portico and meeting from house to house. The joyfully devoted to Christ. None of them looking for it, all surprised by grace because the gospel is the power of God. So when I asked this question, what does a sermon preached in response to a healing at the beautiful gate have to do to speak into our lives? What does it have to do with our lives? Some of you go, man, I just want to come here and find out how to be a, a better mom. <laughs> I just want to find out how to be a better employee. Can't you just tell me how I can be a, a better money manager or a better athlete or a better student or something like that because I'm a Christian and so Jesus makes me better. I'll tell you, I love the word of God and I love the gospel truth of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And I love the, the word of his vicarious substitutionary atonement in our place and how God chose me before the foundation of the world and in his perfect time drew me to himself. And that just fills my heart with wonder and amazement. And I'm telling you what, um, I love the fact that I get to live with a passage of scripture every week and then come present it to you and, and, and have God change me through it and then see God change you through it. And I am not, I'm not joking. I think that the actual event of what we do here is the most crucial element. I love how Jonathan Edwards put it. The main benefit that is obtained by preaching is by impression made upon the mind in the time of it and not by the effect that arises afterwards by a remembrance of what was delivered. Preaching, in other words, must first of all touch the affections. And what you see is when Peter preached this message, people were, were changed. In the midst of hearing a sermon about Peter preaching a sermon to point people to faith in Christ and repentance towards God, God can change you. And he can make you a, a more Christ-honoring servant and a better husband and father and wife and mother and brother and sister and worker and manager and student and athlete and any other role you fulfill. All to the glory of God. Listen to the prophet Jesus. Let the word of God transform you and guard you and hold you and hem you in. Let it, lay you, let, it, let it lay you in the dust at the foot of the cross. Because God is so merciful. They disowned Jesus and they got a second chance. 
and a third and a fourth and a fifth, however long they lived when they were still hearing the gospel. And so do we. They were complicit in the murder of Jesus along with their peers and their religious leaders, and now they needed to trust God. So do we. And they hated him without a cause, but he loves them. They shouted, crucify him, and now they need to listen to the truth that the Father planned the crucifixion for his glory and their good. Believe that and keep on believing that. Let's pray. Lord God, we know, we know that Jesus is who you say he is. And he did all things. The word of God says he did. And that his work continues through his witnesses for his purposes. So Lord, Lord, by your grace, may we look to you, not man, because you are sovereign, that we might love you the most, love Jesus the most, more than anything, that we would learn to live repentantly and just walk away from our sins and and run to Jesus, and, and that we would listen to the prophet Jesus, that we would obey the word of God. Lord, that is our heart's desire, and we know that is your will for us, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.